Hello, and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And uh, we are going to continue uh, talking a little bit about A Tramp Abroad by Mark Twain, published in 1880, which covers basically the previous year and a half of his life or so, when he was in Europe on a walking tour, learning German, learning to paint, and going on kind of other uh, adventures. Now, for the last couple episodes, and I've figure it'll continue now um i've been really comparing this to its it's kind of in unofficial well this is this kind of an unofficial sequel to innocence abroad so i've been really kind of juxtaposing these two and i, I think I, I continue thinking about that as i as i as i jump into this um now something i i think about a lot i thought about a lot when reading a tramp abroad is that um, sometimes observing observed customs is, uh, as a foreigner, uh, and not understanding these customs, or at least Mark Twain um, doing this. And it, just because you do that doesn't mean those customs are not like objectively absurd, right? I, I think maybe we're kind of in this kind of multicultural environment. We want to kind of give respect to different cultures. Um, but you know, someone from outside looking at them, seeing them as absurd, isn't just like an ethnocentric kind of approach. Those customs and things may actually be, uh, a, you know, might be absurd or they might not be. I, I don't know. It's hard to say, but sometimes they are. It doesn't mean they're not. Um, and there are real oppressive aspects of foreign cultures that need to be struggled against. And I think this is something maybe we can talk about more when we get to around the equator, where we're going to kind of get farther and farther away from kind of a Euro-American discourse. Um, but but day-to-day absurdities is really something I'm interested in here. And that's a lot of what Mark Twain was interested in in um, A Tramp Abroad. Um, and again, that's a big difference. He's more interested in the customs and cultures and people, while in Innocence Abroad, he's more interested. He was more interested in like the sites and the, and the and the history, right, of of these places. Um, so even if the observers from this rising arrogant imperialist nation, like the United States. You know, sometimes it just takes a foreigner to tell you, like, that is really dumb what you're doing. That that custom is kind of bizarre. And that's somewhat what I think is going on here in this book. Now, of course, this is more like peers, right? Germany, you know, Switzerland, Italy. They're, they're more peer nations, you know. But nevertheless, Europe or America is this kind of rising imperial power at the time. And... And find its place in the world, and and certainly full of 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 like ethnic arrogance, or, or, or national arrogance. Now, certainly, one thing that's clear is we're in a more defensive age on these kinds of issues than Twain was. Uh, his age, uh, it was in his age it was more acceptable in kind of travel writing to to essentially comment on on other cultures without kind of a 
uh, a qualifying that in some way, like I'm an expert or you know, qualifying, like I just saw this one small part of it or, or the more kind of liberal woke kind of qualification saying it's like, this is just my observation. I'm not making any judgment on it. Right. But I don't see why not. I mean, obviously there are things like foot binding and, and female genital mutilation and culture context aspects like that, that anyone reasonable and objective can criticize. Um, but anyways, um, it might be justified in some cases because you got to turn it around. That's what that's kind of what I want to think, and and I think to some degree Mark Twain achieves this. You flip it around and say, "Well, we're kind of absurd too." Um, now it seems like on some aspects, you know, like Americans have little to teach the world about maybe banking or high finance as much as they they want. You know, their their stock is always crashing and full of bubbles and and nonsense like that. Um, but. But largely, like, why why this pursuit of always trying to, like, avoid certain humiliation, cultural humiliation? I mean, I, I lived in China for a while, and there there, there is a lot of sensitivity about about culture, right? There's a, there was a lot of sensitivity about people from abroad commenting in a negative way about aspects of the Chinese system or Chinese culture. And, you know, I even t- in Taiwan, to a degree, you have that. Um... But I kind of, the point I'm trying to get at is I, I really do like the good-natured ridicule, good natured ridicule because there's something kind of just funny and good-natured and and non I mean maybe it's offensive by by some people's eyes but it's it's kind of like when pals go out it's kind of the pat on the back kind of thing and that's why I think we got to set this as different is a different work than than something like around the equator where you are dealing with like the the real victims of imperialism not a, not another rising power or or appear on the national stage in a way maybe not in terms of power but even places like switzerland or italy are seen as peer powers um germany like the united states was a rising imperial industrial power in the 1870s a lot in common in fact right they're latecomers to the imperial game at least abroad the u.s had been an empire from the beginning in the continent but grabbing its overseas colonies, it does that a little bit later. Germany is one of the latest to get into the game, along with Italy. These are kind of the second wave imperial powers after Britain and France. Um, got their place, got their piece of the pie, and what was left had to be divvied up. Um, you know, these are nations fighting for their place in the sun in a world crowded out by British and French domination. If you just look at a map of the expansion of European empires, you can, you can see how you know, this this was happening in terms of just, just like the geography and the physical cutting up of the world. Um, but they're also sort of part of, both of these are part of the ruling civilization. It, that's It's not uh, a question of, of really the victims being in, on top of that ridiculed. So, it, so it is, this is more like peers at a bar making fun of each other, right? Or a, or a you know, a, a best man making making comments at a, at a speech or something um if any two p- nations could like claim to be equals at that time and and, and peers that might have been germany in the united states right when we look at it from the context of the 20th century it looks different but at this time two nations that just overcame sectional divisions and unified in a way if you take the civil war and german unification happening around the same time both uh 
rising powers uh, compared to their neighbors, both uh, interested in overseas colonies, both um, kind of coming to terms with what a national culture might be. Um, so anyways, uh, I don't know what you think about this, but it's not the imperial overtones in Trample Broad that you see in like Innocence Abroad. Innocence Abroad has a much more kind of uh, imperial feel because you're dealing with tourists. Twain was touring the decaying Ottoman Empire and and ridiculing it, but he's 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 kind of ridiculing a, a, a beaten down person, not a, not a pure uh, rival. Obviously, an essay entitled "The Awful Chinese Language" would be not well received today. Um, in China, it would you, you know definitely not. Um, but take this bit of Twain's comments on German journalism. Quote, what can be found in German newspapers? It's easily answered. A child's handful of telegrams, mainly about European, national, and international political movements. Letter correspondence about the same thing. Market reports. There you have it. That is what a German daily is made of. A German daily is the slowest and saddest and dreariest of the inventions of man. Our own dailies infuriate the reader pretty often. The German dailies only stupefies him. End quote. So he's, like he tends to do, He's contrasting these two cultures that he's the ones he's observing and the one he knows best. Um, and he's kind of making fun of both. But he's it's actually pretty harsh what he's saying here about the about the media in Germany. Um, now, I picked this because it's it's kind of a two way ridicule. Um, but if you were to set this critique somewhere else, not in not among p these peers, as, I, as I'm trying to point out. Um, would it be read the same way? If you said this about the Chinese press today, you know, I'm sure you'd get someone on Twitter to say you're a big racist for saying that. Um, maybe this is the cost of empire, right? Is you got to censor yourself. If, you, if you're going to be on the top, if you're going to be the hegemon, you, you kind of got to be nice to everyone you're, you're, you're oppressing and exploiting and, and extracting resources from. It's just the, them's the rules. Now, I think one reason uh, in, uh, A Tramp Abroad works so well is Twain's honest attempt to understand America through his time in Europe. Just a, It's kind of like that way in Innocence Abroad to a degree, too, but uh, more so here. Um, we see this through the many asides Twain writes on American folklore and customs, sometimes critical, often praising, but it's a, it's a dialectic. Now, the second part, the second half or so of A Tramp Abroad covers... Uh, a little bit more on Twain's life in Germany, his travels through Switzerland and the Alps, and then finally his time in Italy. So he doesn't travel nearly as extensively as he did in Innocence Abroad, but as I said so many times, he's not doing this really as a tourist in quite the same way. He's doing it. He's living in dwelling. He's, he's a part of these cultures. Um, now, he's still fully in character as a humorist in this stage of his career, too. Um, although... Um, You know, it's there's a seriousness to the to, to Tom Sawyer too, right? If endlessly funny, Tom Sawyer is very serious, dead deadly serious about the meaning and actualization of freedom, and Huck Finn even more so. But that's that's got comedy in it, but it's not a particularly uh, funny novel. It's got satirical aspects, mostly painting the adults in a particular way. Um. So, what am I trying to say here? I don't know. There's like a passage where he's talking to a 
or he's introducing like an American tourist, right? Who's who's presented as kind of like grubbing for like other Americans to hang out with, very prideful of of the places he's staying in, recommending certain hotels because they're they're a little more elite, and and trying to connect to these these clearly more upper class people that he's encountering. And he's always seeking out Americans. And he's kind of make, always making a fool of himself in doing so. He kind of has this vignette about this. Um, and and that's maybe he's kind of mocking himself a little bit or mocking, uh, in general, Americans abroad. Um, you know, kind of taking that American egalitarianism a little to the to absurd extremes where it's kind of this idea that all Americans are are are, are friends if they're abroad. Right, which maybe you've experienced if you lived abroad. It's is like your your countrymen are kind of your your peer group, and you're kind of stuck with them, uh, even if they're they're not the the people you would normally hang out with if you weren't uh, in that situation. Now, readers of A Tramp Abroad will find plenty of evidence of what it means to live in a still monarchical and hierarchical society. We saw like the German. Um, uh, dueling gangs, dueling groups, the prisons, uh, and how students are kind of a higher level of society. We, of course, see many conspicuous castles, much of the enduring power of royalty, uh, the Bavarian king's ability to demand a private showing of Wagner's operas is one example we're given here. Um, now, other examples of of the simply more democratic society in the United States include his personal relations between people on the streets. Um, and a lot of the fun in this book too is like, is the street life. The people he's encountering, trying to buy knickknacks, um, the little, little conversations he relates. For instance, in, in regards to women on the streets of Europe, he writes, a lady may traverse our streets. Um, going and coming as she chooses and she'll never be molested by any man but if a lady unattended walks abroad in the streets of London even at new day she will be pretty likely accosted and insulted and not by drunken sailors but by men who carry the look and wear and the dress of gentlemen even the most degraded woman can walk our streets unmolested her sex and her weakness being her sufficient protection she will encounter less polish than she would in the old world but she will run across enough humanity to make up for it now, this is a nice thought, but perhaps it runs a little too close to the nose of how Americans like to think of themselves, which is essentially as vulgar, unrefined, but good-natured, right? And I think that's, in a way, how Twain sees it. He's certainly interested in that kind of vulgar, unrefined, good-natured character. That's what he does a lot in, in Roughing It, one reason I like Roughing It so much. I, I do have to say, Roughing It is still my favorite, I think, of these, of these travelogues. Largely because it's most American. I, I'm not, at the end of the day, that interested in kind of these endless back and forth between European and American culture. But, you know, here I have this podcast and I got to read it. Um, yet through all of this, A Tramp Abroad runs a deep feeling that Twain is living in a class society. Right. So that is something. And that, that allows him, maybe, gives him an excuse to be uh, a little bit more mocking of, of the world around him and the people around him. Um, now, an interesting thing in this book overall is that he often gets things wrong in an interesting way in that he observes phenomena that are real enough, like the high death rate in European cities, 
and then we'll fumble for an explanation, right? Saying something like Europeans prefer preference for ice water is the reason that they have a higher death rate. But that's still a compelling point. Like, why are Europeans not living as long as Americans? Um, it's an observation that's correct and worthy of investigation and perhaps suggested of something deeply wrong in European society. But he doesn't want to, like, hit the solution. He's not a cynic at this point. Well, maybe he is, but he doesn't want to come out that way. He is still very comfortable in his position as, as, as a humorist. So there's a lot of good stuff in this, too. I think some of the walking tri trips he does in, like, the Swiss Alps is really wonderful stuff. It's really uh, beautiful scenery where, that he describes and interesting people. And, you know, he has his jabs at, at yodeling, for instance, as an example. But he certainly seems to respect that, that culture. But I don't know. In general, I, I'm... I mean, I'll have more to say. I guess I'll have one more episode on this this book, but I, I feel I'm kind of running out of, of, of ways to come at this this text. I'll, I think in the next episode, I'll talk more about what he says about Italy and see where that that takes us. Kind of get out of get out of German and kind of get into a new cultural context and one he 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 observed before. So that allows to maybe compare and contrast his experiences once again in Innocence Abroad and the ones we have here. Because, of course, much of that book, Innocence Abroad, was spent in in Italy. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's once again going to be it for now. So, um, so yeah, so uh, thanks for listening. I will finish up my thoughts about A Tramp Abroad in the next episode before jumping into what I really hope is going to be a, a, a informative and, and, and profound reading of of around the equator because because that is a much more politically relevant and, and significant book for for our time i think we're still living with that the consequences of that imperial age in real ways and that's the book that gets us closest to that um, but for that he has to get out of out of this europe american kind of context and and really see the rest of the world and we're going to see that soon enough so uh yeah, see you later. Uh, let me know what you think about any of this stuff, and I will see you next time.